Hello, and welcome to the Association of Academic Physiatrists podcast featuring contract negotiations. Today's podcast will include a Q&A with Monica Maholtra, an attorney with over 10 years of experience in contract negotiations for residents and fellow physicians. I am Dr. Alice Hahn, a spinal cord injury fellow at Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation and a member of the Association of Academic Physiatrists Education Committee. I will be hosting this podcast. Welcome to the program. Let's get started. Could you tell us a little bit about your training background and career experience? Sure. First, thank you, Dr. Hahn, and I want to thank you and A&P for inviting me to participate in this podcast. Um, it's really an honor and a pleasure to be here. Regarding my background, I was educated and raised in Jersey, where I currently reside. I spent a good portion of my time at Rutgers studying science until I discovered a love of finance. I was a consultant for various investment banks for five years. While working, I pursued my graduate degrees in, in an MBA and a JD. As an attorney, I've worked for the New Jersey Attorney General's Office, where we investigated and brought cases against uh, white-collar crimes. Thereafter, I worked at the private New Jersey law firm, where my primary focus was on estate planning, real estate, and contract law. Honestly, my interest in physician contract negotiations actually grew from my own personal desire to help my friends, who were young doctors going through the process, uh, many of whom were physiatrists, including my husband. Just as a young doctor develops uh, their expertise through frequent exposure to a particular diagnosis in the community, I inadvertently developed a favorable reputation for being able to help doctors through the process of contract negotiations because so many doctors are coming through uh, word-of-mouth referrals. I really enjoy helping them. I have offered trainees that they could even email me or call me if they have some questions before they begin the process to kind of help them relieve some tension and not to worry about what's ahead. Could you describe the process of contract negotiations? Absolutely. First, I'll say that the whole negotiating a contract can be very anxiety-provoking, uh, but can be quite rewarding. Sometimes physicians don't really know where they can get an attorney, if they should get an attorney, how that whole process works. So my suggestion is that if, if after reviewing a contract and you feel that you don't want to do it, that you can contact the various associations that you may be a part of, talk to people, go through the yellow pages, talk to other peers who are older than you that have gone through the process already and who they hired, if they hired anybody. And uh, once you get the name of an attorney, call them. Uh, every attorney has their own approach to things. Uh, they will have you sign a retainer, and then after that, you pretty much give them their contract. They will review it and send back any changes or any additions that they might want to add. Sometimes the attorney will have the physician actually talk to the employer on their own to keep things a little bit more amicable, or the attorney can call the uh, employer's counsel or speak to the employer on their own and get the whole process to start. Um, my approach to negotiating contracts for physicians is to be really assertive, willing to compromise, but I ha I'm assertive to make sure that my clients get the best results. Uh, the key to successful negotiations is that you have to be a creative thinker. You kind of have to think outside of the box because a lot of these contracts are pretty boilerplate and you kind of want to think ahead and realize what you might need or what they may need. Every contract can be improved with the addition or enhancement of any of the provisions. That's the beauty of language. You can keep changing things around. Uh, negotiating contracts is a process, which means that you're going to get an offer and there are going to be counter offers. They might go back and forth for a while, which can be tedious, but it's worth it at the end. If physicians accept their employer's offer way too early, then they might be undermining the whole negotiation process 
which honestly would result in diminishing returns for them. The end result would be that they would get a contract that's not favorable to them, and they might actually feel pretty bad about themselves when they talk to other peers of theirs who've received things that they haven't, and they're doing the same thing. At the whole end of the process, all the parties, including your employer and you, should feel like you both won something so that both of you feel good about starting this new relationship together and for hopefully for many years to come. What expertise does an attorney provide, and who would you recommend obtain an attorney? Well, an attorney inherently knows the law, so they offer their expertise in state law and regulations. Uh, we have the ability to foreshadow problems and to advise on all potential conflicts that can arise from some of the key terms written in the contract. Many people don't really know this, but sometimes contracts include terms that may not be legally binding, but are included just for mere effect. Employers are relying on the fact that, you know, the physicians will overlook it and just believe that because of the provisions are automatically in there, that it's enforceable in the court of law, but it's not always the case. To answer the question whether a physician should obtain an attorney, I always tell people that read your contract. If it looks simple and straightforward, and some of them are, then the trainees should just do it themselves. Uh, there's definitely some hospitals that it's a known fact in the community that they won't change anything. So you just want to make sure that the compensation amount is what they had told you and you move forward. But I believe that it depends also on the young doctor, whether they have the ability to engage in some difficult discussions with their future employer without losing sight of their goals. I usually tell my clients that uh, let the attorney be your mouthpiece. That way they can be aggressive and it doesn't look badly on them because you can always say, ah, that's my attorney's fault. She's doing her job. It's not my fault. Your attorney is there for you to be your, your biggest advocate. I found that when physicians kind of represent themselves, they sometimes lose sight of what they want. In their desire to keep things friendly with their employer, physicians become shy and timid, and they in turn either forget or forego some of their benefits. And that's why I say let the attorney be the shark and fight the good fight. What is the optimal point in the job negotiations to involve an attorney? Attorneys should get involved from the start which is when the physician actually receives the employment agreement. With that said, I do advise people that when they receive their contract, they should review it. And again, if it feels like it's simple and clear-cut, then don't bother hiring an attorney and save your money. As soon as the uh, physician decides to hire an attorney, they should let the employer know. There should be no surprises. Sometimes clients I've had where they start the whole negotiation process, then they decide to hire an attorney which almost comes across as now that they're being aggressive and you don't want your employer to feel like you're an aggressor. You want them to feel like you're in this process with them and that you want this to be a good relationship. And so if you let them know ahead of time, then they know exactly what they're getting into and who they they will be dealing with. I also advise my clients that they review their contract on their own and if it appears that the terms in the contract are different, from what was said to them during the interview process, then they should immediately have their employer change that. The physician will save some money by doing that themselves, and this way the attorney will get a contract that should, in theory, represent the mutual interests of the parties involved. What would you recommend to trainees as they begin their contract negotiation? First, I would tell them not to worry, take a deep breath, and take the whole process step by step. I recommend that Physicians should know ahead of time what they want achieved at the end of the negotiation process and know that if they don't get what they want, they can always have the option to cancel a deal. 
many people forget that. They think that the first offer they get, they should go for it. But they will find something different. Uh, they will certainly find another job that's a better fit for them. Their goals should be clear. And most importantly, they should not become a victim of indecisiveness, knowing what they want out of their lives. Uh, I can't stress enough that during the initial review of their contract that the physician look in the contract for all the things that were discussed with them verbally to make sure that the employer included it in the contract. Nothing should be left to the imagination. Sometimes employers will tell the physician, oh, don't worry, it's written in the contract, but we never do anything with that. If they don't do anything with it, then it should be completely cut out of the contract. Everything has to be explicit. All the benefits and the penalties should be outlined clearly so that anybody can understand it when they're reading it. Another thing that is important to mention is that the physician should research the employer by reviewing their websites, talk to people to determine whether the hospital or practice is amenable to negotiations. If they learn that their offers are firm and inflexible, this is where creative thinking comes into play, and you have to craft changes to your contract to improve other benefits, such as money given to achieve CME credits, paid vacation time, sick leave, potentially transportation allowances, relocation expenses, stock options, partnership requirements, or even something as their malpractice insurance. What aspects of the contract should a trainee be particularly aware of when entering negotiations? I guess the most obvious response is to uh, look at your compensation and the incentives to make sure that you're getting paid what you're worth. I also advise that they learn about their disability benefits and how the practice or the hospital determines one's ability. I actually had a client who uh, suffers from short-term disability, and when he signed the contract, he never really bothered reading that section, and he realized that the contract stated that he would be immediately terminated if he had any type of disability, and I had to help him get his job back, so you have to be careful. It's also important to learn how you get promotions or become a partner or just simply get ahead in their practice. I would also look at whether the employer is restricting their ability to earn more money in the future in terms of moonlighting or opening a side practice. I had uh, one client who loved his new job offer. I advised that he not sign it until they permit him to do outside activities. He didn't think it was necessary, but I convinced him otherwise. And literally within a year on that job, he called to thank me because he was offered another side job that was lucrative. And because I modified his contract, he was able to take that job. So it's really important to consider these things when you're signing. You kind of have to think about the future and know that maybe things might change in your life and that maybe you may want to have another job uh, because you need to make more money for whatever reason. Find out if you're allowed to use your vacation time whenever you want or are you tied down to a particular time of the year. It is important to see how other physicians in the practice are treated. For instance, I had a client who had an employer that said, oh, you can take a vacation whenever you want. We're very free here, red flag. They're clearly playing games with you, and quite likely you probably won't get any vacation time. Also review your personal and sick days that they have in case something should happen to you in the future. There was one employer who was giving his employee only 20 days for vacation, sick, personal, and holidays. This is not enough, and it definitely needs to be negotiated. Another thing that the people should look at is to check the language that addresses coverage in the event of an emergency. Uh, you cannot go into work. Sometimes this goes unmentioned in the contract. I suggest the trainees look at the restricted covenants and non-compete clauses. They should know what the job market is like in the area they want to work and see how their employer is trying to limit them 
and whether they can earn a living within those limitations. Uh, do not sign a contract unless you fully understand the implications of the written word. The common mistake is that when you receive a contract, you never think about termination, but it's really important. Why? You may not like your colleagues, the work environment, money, or the actual work. You decide you want another job, and you start interviewing, and you get your dream job. Well, now, when you want to terminate, you decide to look at your contract, and you realize that you have to stay with your current employer for two years, and that would stink. So there are many things to consider when reading a contract, and it should not be taken lightly. The trainees do have to evaluate their life and determine what they really want. Once you have that confidence, getting through these contracts won't feel so difficult. Could you discuss restrictive covenant and non-compete clauses? First and foremost, the restrictive covenant should be looked at very carefully. Uh, the livelihood of the physician could be greatly affected. I've seen individuals' careers be put on hold because of these provisions. Uh, for instance, I had a client who uh, came to me after he blindly signed a contract with a restricted covenant that barred him from working within a 30-mile radius from his previous employer. And in that area where there were no jobs that my client could go after, I had to fight with his employer arguing that they breached the contract and for that reason my client should not suffer. And fortunately we won, otherwise he would have had to uproot his whole life and get another job. A restricted covenant essentially precludes the physician from competing with the employer for some period of time after the employment had been terminated. And this type of provision is actually called the non-compete clause. But there are many types of restricted covenants. They're in every contract. Uh, it's very common practice to have it in there. Some covenants show that they bar any solicitation of employees from the employer or solicitation of employers' clients for a period of time after termination or releasing trade secrets and so on. So they have to be carefully scrutinized. A lot of people think that because they're included in there, they can't be changed, uh, they're boilerplate, and they are enforceable in the court of law. But there are definitely techniques to limit the physician's exposure to these type of provisions. Uh, the trainees should not feel discouraged that the employer has set forth these limitations and they can't do anything. You have to work together to come to a happy compromise, and it can happen. I would like to also add that some states actually rule that restrictive covenants are unenforceable. And um, courts have looked at the issue on a case-by-case -case basis. So it's important to know what the laws are regarding these provisions in the training state. Could you discuss types of malpractice insurance coverage? There are essentially two types, claims-made policy and occurrence-based policy. The claims-made policy is coverage which will respond to incidents arising on or after the policy start date and which are reported during the actual term of the policy. Occurrence-based policy is coverage which will respond to incidents arising from the coverage period, regardless of when those claims are reported. Um, under the occurrence-based policy, there is no tail coverage because incidents that occur during the policy period are covered no matter how much later they're reported. This is why they're typically more expensive, and for that reason, some employers actually shy away from buying such policy. The most popular is the claims-made policy. There is no tail coverage. Uh, which is why this is a very important thing to look at when you're looking at a contract. And they're very popular amongst the employers. They're claims-made policies, so you can only bring the case within the term of the policy. Anything that happens afterwards, you can be open to exposure. Tail insurance is actually insurance that extends the physician's coverage after the policy has been canceled or terminated. So trainees have to be very careful and know what type of policy they have and determine whether they need tail insurance. And if they do, then this is something that they have to negotiate. And there are many ways that you can negotiate a tail coverage. 
there's some employers who will just give it to you outright. There's some that will actually request that they have equal risk and it's a 50-50 share, a 50-50 split, I should say. Other employers link the payment of tail coverage to how many years you're working there, so they kind of phase it in. Maybe the first year you get one-third, the second year two-thirds, and then the last year uh, full payment. I'd also like to mention that these days insurance companies have become smart. Uh, they want to give physicians more options because that can become kind of scary. So they have hybrid policies, so you have to understand exactly what you're getting yourselves into. What advice would you give to trainees in contract negotiations? There are many things to consider when reviewing and signing an employment contract, but don't get so caught up in the process that you're quick to accept offers that are not favorable to you, only because you want the process to end quickly. Take it one day at a time. You have to allow the negotiating process to run its course. It takes time, and in order to achieve favorable results, you need to let things move in its own pace. Do not let the negotiation fires burn out. Your goal is to keep the other side engaged for as long as you can. Please do not become overwhelmed, but take it seriously. Do not become intimidated by the language or some of the financial terms that are included in there. It is important for you to fully understand and comprehend everything that is in your contract. You never want to be surprised and essentially be the captain of your own ship. Thank you for this insightful discussion on contract negotiations. On behalf of the Association of Academic Physiatrists, we would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. More information on podcasts and the American Journal of PMNR, including the journal iPad app, can be found on the AAP website at www.physiatry.org. This concludes today's program. Thank you.